This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Recently, past President Abdul Hadi Awang has defended the party's distribution of cash to voters during the 15th general election, claiming that it was a charitable act and so not prohibited by law. But is that actually charity or blatant bribery? Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Dr. Mohamed Mohan. He's the president of Transparency International Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mohan. How are you? Yeah, thank you very much. What are your overall thoughts on, you know, what the past president said? Um, you know, he said that uh, Perikata National or past cash handouts to voters weren't bribery or, you know, vote buying, but rather just charity. What are your thoughts on this? Yes. Uh, now, first of all, uh, it needs to be investigated if the several individuals mentioned by Tan Sri Hadi Awam are actually past and or PN members. Uh, in any case, um, any cash handed out to voters during an election period is unacceptable and it is vote buy or bribery. And definitely it's not charity. Now, the statement issued by him is very disturbing because it can mislead the public to think that during an election period, they can demand for anything uh, and expect the candidates to offer them uh, either cash or uh, other things in kind. And uh, this will be setting a very bad uh, culture uh, for Malaysia. And uh, and this, uh, so people may, will get the impression that during election, this is the best time to demand. And uh, uh, in return, you can give them, offer them the votes and so on. So, so definitely uh, what he has mentioned uh, as charity is something unacceptable as far as we are concerned. Right. Um, you know, generally speaking, Dr. Mohan, um, people do give out cash or kind for charitable purposes, right? Um, let's say you're walking around a shopping mall, you see an NGO carrying a donation box, you put in 10 ringgit inside, that's charity. Um, charity is generally considered good. So where do we draw the line between charity and bribery or vote buying? Uh, you, you, you see, we, in this particular case, uh, because we are talking about uh, vote buying during an election period, mm-hmm. so we have to look whether in Malaysia we have uh, any law prohibiting such a, such an action. Now, very interesting in Malaysia, we have uh, a very specific law uh, called the uh, Election Offences Act right. 1954. All right. I believe it was amended in 1969. It's under Act 5. Now, if you go into this uh, Act, under Section 10A, uh, it defines uh, bribery as giving anything valuable to a voter during an election in order to induce a voter to vote for him or a certain party, whether done directly or indirectly using third party. So, I'm basically summarizing it. Huh? So, mm-hmm. in other words, giving out cash during an election or worse asking will the recipient vote for a certain party is clearly bribery and not charity. Now, the one that you just mentioned that when we are walking in the in the mall and you see you, you, you put a, uh, some money into the box or something like that, right. or uh, uh, sometimes we see in front of the bank, someone is sitting there. Right. Or, or <clears throat> even if you go even extend to that, you you give some money to the uh, politicians or MPs 
giving money to the mosque or the temples or the uh, places of worship or to a school to repair <clears throat> the toilets and so on. Those are all you can consider as donations uh, and so on. And that is to be done throughout the, uh, at any time. You know, right. It's not necessary during the uh, election period. Now, because we have this Section 10A under the Election Offences Act, which clearly prohibits any kind of uh, gratification to a voter during an election period. So when you say during an election period is when the election is announced until the, the voting day, uh, that is the election period we are talking about. So during that time, if you... Uh, uh, give any kind of donation uh, that can be deemed as actually vote buying. Uh, but of course, we will leave that to the investigators and the uh, legal people to actually interpret that. But in our view, uh, giving uh, out cash during an election period uh, is deemed to be uh, vote buying. And that is why we definitely cannot accept that. Now, speaking of the laws um, that are available um, currently in Malaysia, um, um, ha, da, you know, um, the past president, Hadi, he, came, he said that giving out money um, did not violate the election laws because the candidates nor the representatives did not distribute the cash. That means he is saying that no one who contested or their representatives actually went on the ground and gave out 50 ringgit, 100 ringgit, whatever it may be, 10 ringgit, or whatever the, 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 the value is, right? What are your thoughts on this? That as long as, you know, according to Abdul Hadi Awang's defense, uh, you know what he is saying on his on his defense, that as long as the candidates, not their representatives are giving out the cash, then it's fair game. Um, how do you interpret this? Yeah. Um, as I said, uh, it's stipulated in the Election Offences Act 1984, Section 10A. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we will leave this to the experts to interpret, but one look for from the provision that has been given, because it says whether done directly or indirectly using a third party. Right. So even though he says that it's not their representative or something like that, uh, I don't think they can just get away uh, with that, particularly... Uh, the person who is giving, if he is found to be uh, part of their executive uh, committee or exco or, uh, or a committee member or something like that, then it will come back to the party leadership. Okay? So, so I I think definitely we will, we will leave it to the experts to uh, to investigate and find out the truth. But as far as we are concerned, uh, definitely uh, distribution of cash. Uh, during an election period is an offense. Uh, and uh, and also the other factor is uh, uh, in this particular case, there is some evidence of a video circulating. Right. And 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 so the, the investigators will actually zoom in the person who is giving. Who is he? Uh, and that's what they have to actually find out. Now, Dr. Mohan, I have a big picture question for you, right? Um, if there are laws, and, and the laws like you read it out earlier, like you explained, is pretty straightforward. Then how and why have we, as a collective, whether it's the government, whether it's the people, how have we let it happen for so long? I mean, it's pretty much an open secret at this point that, you know, for example, in rural Sabah and Sarawak, it rains money during election periods. These are things that people talk about on air 
um, political analysts will come out and, and make jokes about it sometimes because it has become that normal that, you know, things, you know, in, in rural areas, especially people are just going around giving cash handouts and, and whatnot. Why? How have we let this happen if, if there are laws that clearly state that this is wrong? Because, you know, we, we, you brought up the video um, that is in mention on this particular issue we are talking about today. But this isn't the first video. It's not like this brand new groundbreaking thing. Every time there's a there's an election, you go on social media, there are all these videos circulating about how people are receiving money and whatnot, but yet nothing is being done. So why? Why has have we let this to fester and, and happen all over the country? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, we this is not the first time. We have been hearing this often that money was used uh, to win elections. Uh, and this is very, uh, uh, very often we hear this. In fact, for that matter, 13 years ago, when uh, our civil society, Transparency International Malaysia, we did do a research on this and we published a book, Reforming Political Financing in Malaysia. Right. That was 13 years ago. And we made 22 recommendations to the government. You know, And uh, so that is sort of like, uh, one of the recommendations is to uh, have a political financing act, where, in other words, we know for elections, you need money uh, to run campaigns and so on. But what we are saying is must be done in a transparent manner. Right. The one that we talked about, the Election Offences Act, are those things that you shouldn't do. Uh, but that is very narrow. But there are a lot of other things, the amount to be spent. In fact, under the Election Offences Act, the limit for uh, parliamentary parliamentary and MP is uh, 200,000 yen. That's all he can spend. And uh, for an assemblyman, state assemblyman, uh, it is 100,000 ringgit. And this is in 1954. But today, uh, that value is just too small. And I, I'm very sure if we see in all elections, the amount of money spent uh, for elections is much more than that. So, uh, but you see, the issue here is action can only be taken when someone blows the whistle and reports. Right. So such cases are normally very dependent on witness testimonies. And it has to be proven that the money really did buy votes. So in many cases, people do not come forward to testify. That is why we rarely hear for someone being charged for bribery offenses in elections. And I give you one example is uh, if you recollect the... Uh, uh, Sabah elections. Right. Uh, recent, uh, I think a few months ago when uh, the government decided to go for fresh elections. And uh, there were some uh, um, uh, uh, candidates openly declaring that uh, they received phone calls uh, offering, certain party offering them uh, uh, money to immediately after the elections if they win to jump over and so on. The problem with these people is they make a statement but when when authorities go and ask them further, they don't want to come forward and, and give evidence. So right. how can authorities like MACC investigate uh, when when people don't come forward? So so that is the challenge uh, we, 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 we face. And, and this is not the first time. Now, in this particular case, it just so happened that the party leader openly admitted when he was interviewed right. that cash was given to the voters by certain individuals as charity. And that is what triggered this argument because the video has been going on uh, since the 19th uh, November right. when the election was over. Uh, I think within a span of a week, this video was already circulating. 
but nothing happened after that. It only triggered when the when the past leader was interviewed, then he said it's considered charity. And that triggered everything. And then, as I said earlier, the, the issue here is the, the giver openly asked the recipient if he can promise to vote for the party. And after that, he's giving out the cash. So if I cannot call this bribery, I don't know what else to call this. So <laughs> that's, that's my view. On the show with me today is Dr. Mohamad Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia. After the break, I ask him what action can be taken against PAS and Perikatan National. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Mohamad Mohan, President of Transparency International Malaysia. And we're talking about vote buying. So, Dr. Mohan. You know, you mentioned an investigation. Um, the MACC chief, Tantri Azambaki, he recently said, um, and I quote, a bribe is a bribe no matter how one chooses to describe it, end quote. And he also said that the MACC would investigate any form of bribery using the law and not on personal interpretations. Now, is this a good first step that we are seeing this case, um, you know, now getting the headlines and also that MACC is saying that they're going to investigate. Is this a good first step as far as Transparency International Malaysia is concerned? Uh, yes, definitely is the first step. It's a good step and a very prompt action taken. Uh, in other words, when civil societies raised this up uh, uh, a few days ago for MACC and also we have asked the uh, Election Commission to also step in and also investigate. You know, whether the seats won were actually uh, legal, you know, and mm -hmm. so on. So uh, the action taken is swift. However, uh, we have to always remember that the MACC is doing the investigation. And once investigation papers are ready, they will send it to the AG's chambers. And the uh, AG's chambers, uh, in this case, the Deputy Public Prosecution, uh, will decide whether to uh, charge the person or not. So they will look at the evidence and the current existing laws they have, and uh, and then they will decide. So as I just mentioned to you, that you know one of the reasons in the past uh, uh, you don't have many examples of uh, people being charged when they blow the whistle or something like that, because it depends very much on witness testimonies. Right. And it has to be proven that the money really did buy votes. So that is where sometimes the AG's chambers will come back to MACC and say, either you do further uh, investigation or the case is so weak that uh, no further action. And that's how the case dies off. So the public right. perception becomes very negative on MACC thinking that uh, MACC is not doing anything and so on. They do not understand there is two, two layers before the person can actually uh, be charged. Right. So, so this is the challenge that I think uh, we are facing. So can you unpack the layers for me a little bit, Dr. Mohan? Um, because as you said, um, you know, MACC will first investigate and then, you know, whatever the, the result of their, their investigation will then be passed to the Attorney General's chambers. And then what happens from there? Um, you know, what action can be taken against PAS or Perikatan National? As we know, in, in these kinds of instances, it's like the past president, Abdul Hadi Awang, said... Um, the, the cash isn't given out by ca candidates or representatives. Um, more often than not, you know, if these things do occur, they hire people, they have their, their foot soldiers and, and so on and so forth. So when we talk about taking action, 
who are we taking action against who should be held accountable okay the uh, if i would just go take a step back mm-hmm. now they, they have said that mcc has said that they have opened uh, a file on this or mm-hmm. they are doing the investigation so the investigation papers are being prepared and so on and uh, once these investigation papers are prepared they will be uh, handed over to the ag's chambers to do a review and they are because being uh, the custodian uh, for this whole thing you know in terms of law they will look at it uh, before they decide to charge someone right now in this particular case uh, they can be subject to different interpretations mm-hmm. like what the chief commissioner says a bribe is a bribe you know regardless of who did it and so on you know but when you go into the detailed technicalities uh typical the legal experts they will be the one who will say that you know based on the section 10a whether this has a strong case or not or can we link it back to the leader who said it's charity and so on right because in most cases the 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 person who is charged he is directly linked to the process of receiving or giving is it just like in other offenses under the MACC act you know the giver and the receiver gets charged under certain sections right. that is very clear he was the recipient and there is uh, evidence to show that he actually uh, took took money or whatever it is or he gave the, uh, the any form of gratification but in this case we could be using a third party he could be using a, a, a third party to actually handle this so we we do not know the the whole picture and that is why i mentioned in the beginning is best to leave this to the uh, mecc uh, they have uh, you have to give them time to investigate and also the ags chambers to decide whether there is a real case uh, strong enough to charge whoever they think it is necessary to be charged now what laws do we need um, to prevent um, instances like this not just talking about this one instance but you know like you like we just talked about we're talking about in, in rural areas for many 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 years this has been the norm this has been part of the elections culture where people are going on the ground and giving out cash to buy votes what do we need to do to prevent this from happening in the future uh, are we talking about more laws or are we do we need some sort of um, a- education program and to to shift the culture or the perception of the masses to to make them or make the the people understand that that these are very grave problems uh, and things like that what do we need to do so that these things don't happen because i'm my concern is also that you know sometimes we have all these laws but if no, no one is reporting then nothing can be done yeah uh, that's a very good point you you raised uh, let me just touch on the part on educating people mm-hmm. and so on now this is definitely a long haul uh, it's going to take many many years for malaysians to to realize that you know this is our right and uh, and uh, to speak up and report you no know? now we have uh, good laws in malaysia uh, i mean the election offences act is not new it's even before pre independence right they the law has already been there and the problem is uh, it's happening and very few people are reporting and uh, even if they report uh, you know they 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 don't uh, bring in evidence i think it's going to be very difficult so that is why you don't see many people being charged now apart from that uh, about 13 years ago as i mentioned to you earlier uh, our 
movement. We did a research and we came up with this reforming political financing in Malaysia. Right. And the idea of this uh, 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 research, and we came up with a book actually, and uh, the idea here is we made came up with 22 recommendations and uh, maybe I'll just pick one or two important ones. For example, uh, currently funding for political parties, whether for elections or for their normal operations, they don't report because they all come under the Registrar of Society. And in the Registrar of Society, you just need to submit your accounts and that's all. It, it doesn't stipulate clearly to tell you your fundraised uh, and how your funds were dispersed need to be audited and so on. So in our recommendations, we have made those recommendations that your account should be properly audited by a certified auditor and it should be reported. And then we also talked about banning foreign funding. We don't want other outside parties out of Malaysia to fund political parties in this country and decide our future. Right, absolutely. So this has happened and governments have been brought down simply because of foreign interference. Right. So so that is something we have also recommended. And also the other things uh, uh, in terms like uh, the amount of uh, how do we fund this uh, uh, constituency. So one of the formula that has been recommended, and this was also been involved by other civil societies like the Bar Council, uh, C4 and Ideas, uh, they have come up with a mechanism on how the state can fund the constituency based on the number of votes that he have gained in the previous election. So there is a mechanism, a formula to work out how much uh, the state can actually fund him. Now, other countries, for example, in Germany, for example, mm -hmm. the general public actually can donate to political uh, candidates. For example, right. let's say in uh, VIMC, for example, in Subang Jaya, mm -hmm. uh, the candidate uh, and uh, maybe uh, we are staying in Subang Jaya and we want to donate. We like this candidate. We can donate, but there is a cap to what you can donate. So like in Germany, there is a cap of, let's say, 1,000 euro. Right. And that's the maximum you can donate. And then uh, it's tax deductible. So you get a receipt and every year when you submit your tax returns, uh, you can actually claim back for this. Right. Uh, for this. So it's tax deductible. So it's very organized and systematic. So different countries have different uh, guidance. So that is why this political financing act should be put in place. Uh, but I can tell you one thing, uh, why it has taken 13 years and, and no <laughs> political uh, or no ruling government had the uh, uh, guts uh, to actually push for this act, except maybe the Pakatan Harapan government came quite close. They said that they want to table this in March 2020. But unfortunately, with the Sheraton move, the whole thing collapsed. Right. So, but they never revealed what was inside the uh, the bill. So, we do not know whether uh, the many recommendations we made uh, is inside there. So, I would urge that uh, the Political Financing Act is actually, the bill is actually tabled in Parliament. Uh, and I hope the uh, current law minister uh, as, uh, and also in charge of law and institutional reforms will give priority to this political financing act uh, to be put uh, or to be at least brought to parliament with a, after a cabinet paper. And then uh, hopefully uh, the spirit of bipartisanship will work in parliament and both sides will actually support it. Uh, but I know a lot of politicians are not in favor of that. And that is one of the reasons why it has taken us so long to, to get this through. 
you know, imagine the book has been published in 2010 and we are now right. in 2013. 13 years have passed and and we have not moved an inch uh, to actually get this act in place. So that's what we really need. Now, Dr. Mohan, interestingly, um, you know, the MACC chief himself was on the receiving end of criticisms and, and even public protests. Um, we are talking about exactly about a year ago. Where are we right now um, in terms of the public trust towards institutions such as MACC in the first place? Well, the, the MACC, uh, I mean, if you are referring to that particular case, well, uh, the MACC chief uh, uh, was uh, <coughs> investigated uh, by the SC and so on. Right. And they have given their explanation and right. so on. Uh, and I think uh, as far as MACC's reputation is concerned, uh, they are doing their job and uh, they are trying to uh, get, get up, uh, I mean, charge people who have committed an offense and so on. But I think the public has to understand that, uh, and then the reason I'm telling you this is because I, being a, a witness one time as a whistleblower uh, for the MACC once, and uh, I know how it works uh, and how complicated it is. It is very easy to charge someone, but when you go to the uh, when you go to the full trial, uh, when the case is actually being dissected by the both side of the, uh, the law, both side of the lawyer. I mean, the lawyers on both sides, huh? both on the prosecution right. and the defense. And uh, you can find that if the if the investigation is not done properly, there are gaps and the evidence are not solid, the case will be just thrown out. Even a high-profile case, you know, it can be thrown out, you know. So, so public has to understand that, you know, sometimes these things take long, and when you don't have sufficient evidence, and then the MACC cannot pers uh, pursue the case. So, so it is a very challenging uh, situation for them. And because of uh, our country's situation, uh, and we, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit or not, uh, the problem is serious. The problem is very serious. And this is why you shouldn't be surprised why the current Prime Minister, almost every day, wherever he goes, he talks about good governance, he talks right. about cleaning up the country with corruption. Well, some people don't like it. Some people will say that, why is he talking every day? The fact is, he has no other choice because that is the root of the problem. And, 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 and so on. So with uh, 2,000 employees in MACC, uh, don't forget, you might have to minus the administrative staff and all that. How many of them are left to do investigation? And this is spread across the country. Every state has its own MACC uh, yeah, at the state level, and there are investigation officers there. So you really, you don't have many people to go around and, and look at the number of cases that we, we, we have. So I think in all fairness, we have to be fair to MACC as well, uh, that they are trying to do their best. Uh, but of course, uh, there are some gaps as well, you know, which uh, only MACC can fix it. So I think, I think you are bringing up fantastic points about the graveness of of the about how serious the issue is in in Malaysia, um, and, and rightfully, like you said, um, you know, Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim, every almost every day you read his statements about corruption. It's about full reform mode, it's about cleaning up the institutions of the country and, and all of that. So with that in mind, right, um, Dr. Mohan, this new Malaysia Madani Anwar-led government has been in power for a couple of months now. Have they made active strides 
to try and combat corruption, improve transparency, etc. Um, you know, looking at, are you in a place where you feel that, okay, now I have a little bit more confidence um, that things are moving in the right direction? Or, or are you, you know, or, you know, I'm wondering how are you feeling? Or how is Transparency International feeling about the direction of this government in terms of reforms, transparency, corruption, and the likes? Well, uh, I would say that under this, uh, because don't forget, this is a, they call it a unity government, right. or I call it a coalition, mm -hmm. uh, because typically a unity government means there is no opposition. Right. But in our case, we have opposition. So it's more like a coalition. Yep. And uh, not to forget that the leader, he comes from the Pakata Harapan government, uh, sorry, Pakata Harapan party. And uh, so, uh, but not to forget that he is a co coalition leader. And therefore, it is not going to be easy uh, for him uh, to push the agenda as what they have promised in their manifestos. So it requires a lot of engagement, uh, requires a lot of uh, discussion and so on. But however, uh, to his credit, uh, when he started off, he freezed some of the uh, projects approved, for example, the flood mitigation projects. And, uh, and he went for some selective tender instead of direct negotiation. And that actually, uh, based on his figures, uh, they saved something like about 1.8 billion ringgit. So that is to the credit of the government, yeah, I would say. Uh, the other thing that, you know, he talks about good governance, transparency, integrity, democratic accountability, uh, and so on. So that's all fine. But I think it is imperative that this government accelerates the institutional reform agenda if we really want to see some tangible result within the next five years. I mean, the, the government should actually uh, concentrate. Uh, well, the economy is very important. We, we fully understand that. We support that. By the same time, institutional reforms need to be accelerated. This was the problem in the when the previous Pakatan Harapan government came into power. Uh, they had a lot of things in the manifesto, but they couldn't implement it. You know, they found that uh, they had uh, a lot of difficulties because they never had a majority in parliament and so on. But I think this time they should uh, uh, focus on those reforms. And one of the Maybe I can give you a few. Yep. Uh, the low-hanging fruits mm -hmm. is, for example, the Whistleblower Protection Act 2010. It is due for amendment. And uh, and this act has uh, several gaps in this. And this is an act that three years, civil societies like us and the law division in the Prime Minister's Department and the MACC, we have been sitting together in workshops after workshops after workshops debating and this and that. So we have come quite close, I hope with some consensus for certain sections to be removed uh, and amended. Then this act should actually be passed uh, uh, for amendment uh, as soon as possible. Right. So that is one low hanging fruit. And the other one that I think the government should not hesitate is to remove the executive's role in the appointment of judges. So to truly make the judiciary uh, independent. At the moment, the executive, executive here in this case, I mean the prime minister, right. has a say in the appointment of the judges. And this was also called by the chief justice uh, recently that to remove the executive's role in the appointment of judges. So this can be done uh, very easily. Yeah? And the other one that I think the government should also accelerate is the implementation of the National Anti-Corruption Plan. Uh, we have a wonderful plan, and the plan actually expires end of this year. 
but we can always, uh, I mean, we can talk about an extension for another one year or two, uh, but it must be accelerated. We wasted three, four years because of uh, unstable government. Uh, two times we had a change when government was changed. And uh, and so uh, so that is one that we we uh, the government should actually accelerate. And of course, there are other things, you know, setting up in our parliamentary ombudsman's office, separation of power between the AG and the public prosecutor. So all these are re institutional reforms that the government need to push forward. So overall, I would say there is hope. Uh, at least uh, we have a leader who who is seems to be committed for reforms, but this will only uh, see, uh, will be appreciated, I would say, uh, only when we see the results. And of course, we know it will take time. And that's why they need actually one full five term, uh, sorry, five years, uh, one full term or five years for them to uh, deliver these results. Absolutely. And on that note, Dr. Mohan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me in your show. That was Dr. Mohamad Mohan. He's the president of Transparency International Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.